Well, hey, greetings and welcome to Grace and Peace Online Church. We're so glad that you're joining us today. I want to take a moment and pray for all of the generosity and all of the giving uh, that's taking place during the service and for all the faithful online church family that, that just makes giving a regular part of your life. We're so grateful for your faithfulness to the Lord and your faithfulness to the vision here at Grace and Peace. I often say and I often look to remind us that our giving does so much. When we look at our sowing as investment, it really is an investment because not only is it touching our local community through the Toms River campus, uh, but we are uh, partnered with ministries that are ministering in our state. Things like campus ministries and missionaries uh, and organizations that are sharing Christ, sharing the hope and love of God uh, in our nation as well and in nations around the world with missionaries that we're partnered with. And then our giving uh, on a great regular basis does uh, all kinds of different special projects. When disasters come, when there's different crisis situations or just unique giving projects, we as a church family have been able to be a part of loving our community and loving the world and lifting up Christ at the same time. So I don't know about you, but that just makes me so grateful to know uh, that I can only be in one place at a time, but through my finance, I can be with the Lord and with his vision for grace and peace, literally uh, moving and working all around our planet. So I pray that encourages your heart. Let's pray and ask God's blessing to continue on our finances. So Father, we do thank you so much for your goodness in our lives that we get to be uh, co-partners with you. Lord, that's just mind-blowing to see your kingdom advance in this world. And Lord, we pray uh, as, as we have prayed, we continue to ask in our current giving uh, that you would continue to lift Jesus up in every dollar and every cent. And we continue to ask, Father, that lasting things would come out of our sowing. And finally, Lord, we do pray and rejoice and thank you that we can trust in you and rest in you for every place where we have need. And so we believe you for your provision wherever need is uh, on our church family as we're praying together now. Father, in all of this, we pray in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, hey, we're going to get to our message now, and we're on part two of our uh, brand new fall series called Known by His Name. And we're going to be diving into this great series over the next bunch of weeks. Uh, and we're going to look at the various names of God that are revealed in the Bible. Uh, we know as we look in the Word of God that as God interacts with people, He reveals Himself. And, and when He does, oftentimes in those situations, in those, those historical moments that are captured in the Word, God will reveal a part of His nature in how He, he is named, how He refers to Himself. And these, uh, again, tell us about who God is. Remember, God says that His thoughts and His ways are higher than our, our ways and thoughts. So we can't know Him apart from, we can't know Him truly and accurately apart from Him revealing Himself to us. But thank God He does. And through these names that He gives us throughout the Bible, we get to know His character. We get to know His nature and His heart. We get to know um, what that means for us as His followers as well. So last week we kicked off with an introduction by Pastor Gabrielle 
And now we're going to move in this week into looking at uh, God's name, Jehovah Shema, which means the Lord is there. Uh, and it's speaking to the nearness of God's presence. So we first see this reference to Jehovah Shema in Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel. Uh, that's one of, a, one of the prophetic books in the Old Testament, one of the major prophets. We see in chapter 48 and verse 35, uh, this reference to Jehovah Shema. But what we need to understand, what we're going to investigate and look at here today is God has always wanted his presence to be here with us. You know, you start in the book of Genesis. There's a lot of Bible until we get to Ezekiel where we see Jehovah Shema. But that nature of who God is, the Lord is near, the Lord is there. This picture of God being near with his presence goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Now, when we're speaking about God's presence, there's something that we, we want to be aware of when we're talking about this. There's really two aspects of the presence of God that we see in, in the Word of God. Uh, the first is omnipresence. You know, that's God by His nature is everywhere. Uh, we see this described in Psalm 139, uh, verses 7 through 10. And the psalmist says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I hide from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. So again, there's, there's this picture of God's omnipresence everywhere is where God is. But then also we see in the word of God, God's manifest presence. And again, if you're taking notes, you know, omnipresence was the first fill in there. The second one, manifest presence. And again, we see it all through the Bible, but an example here in 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 10, uh, it says, when the priests withdrew from the holy place. So you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about this, but just to set this up, uh, this is uh, Solomon's temple, the temple that Solomon built for the Lord. And in the temple was, you know, you had the outer court, you had the, uh, the, the holy place, and you had the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. And um, the priests are, uh, on the day of dedication of the temple, the, trees, the, the priests are withdrawing from the holy place. And it says the cloud filled the temple. That is uh, what we'll sometimes refer to this as the glory cloud. In Hebrew, it's the Shekinah. Uh, the, the word talks about like a, the, a weightiness in this cloud. And literally, the cloud of God's manifest presence would abide uh, above the, uh, the mercy seat. Uh, on, on the Ark of the Covenant in this holy place, in the Holy of Holies. And so we, we see from the Word of God that God explains, yes, because He's God, He's everywhere. There's no place that we can escape from His presence. But also that God is near to us. God is, is close. His, his, there's a manifest presence of God that we not only can experience, but that God absolutely desires for us to experience. And you can see, again, if you're following in your notes, our key truth that we're looking at here as we look at Jehovah Shema, that the God above all creation wants to fellowship with you. 
How awesome is that when we think about the, the grandness of God, how, how just beyond creation, beyond everything that God is, and he desires fellowship with each and every one of us. Just, just an incredible, encouraging truth for us to have. So let's prove this out, this, this uh, understanding of Jehovah Shema. Let's prove this out by doing a brief tour through the Bible. Remember I said a few minutes ago, that we can go all the way back to the book of Genesis and we can see the Lord who is there, the God who wants his presence to be with his people. So let's take a look. So uh, in the Garden of Eden, that's the first place that we're going to tour and look at in the Bible. So we are going back to Genesis and we're going to look at verse 8 of chapter 3. And it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden. There's a picture of God's manifest presence, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. So uh, this particular portion of scripture is talking about after mankind sinned against God, but this is a picture of what God would do. He would, he would meet with, uh, with Adam and walk with him in the garden in the cool of the day. And so uh, in the Garden of Eden, uh, we, we read in the Bible that everything was perfect. Um, and uh, the, the creator God, uh, God who made creation, God who made us, wanted Adam and Eve to live in this place of just beauty and comfort. But God's presence was to be their greatest pleasure. They walked with God. But because Adam and Eve chose to disobey the entire human race, uh, is plunged into darkness. Death enters humanity. Uh, but, you know, we need to notice right here, talking about God's presence and mankind interacting with God in this, in this understanding of what God tells us in the Bible. God didn't leave Adam. Adam left God. You know, God has this scenario of you're in this beautiful garden and, and you, you know, you're going to walk with me and we're going to have a relationship. You just can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't do that. Don't disobey. If you do, we'll have broken fellowship and, and death will, will come into the picture. And that's just what happened. Uh, so Adam left God rather than God leaving Adam. But thankfully, God continued to reveal himself and make his presence known. Uh, we can move a little further in the history timeline in Genesis and, and we come to Enoch. And it says in the Bible about Enoch that he walked with God for 300 years. So there's this, the, the God who is there, God who wants to be present and, and relating to us is there. We know we read in Genesis about uh, Abraham. And Abraham uh, interacted and related with God to where he was called the friend of God because uh, he believed God, he trusted him, and he had great faith. Uh, all right, in, in our tour through the Bible, uh, point number two in your notes, uh, we can see Jehovah Shema with Jacob at Bethel. And so Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. God is unfolding his plan of redemption, his plan of salvation, uh, that, that uh, through all the nations of the earth, Abraham uh, is going to be a blessing. He's going to bless all the, uh, all the people of the earth uh, through his seed. One's coming through Abraham's line. And then Abraham has a son, Isaac, and Isaac has a son, Jacob. And, and so through the Bible, we're seeing this plan unfold. And again, part of the plan is Jehovah Shema. Not God is far away somewhere and, and left you stranded, but the God who is there, who relates with his people. 
Let's take a look at Genesis chapter 28 in verses 12 to 15 and look at Jacob. It says that he, Jacob, had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And, and here it is, the Lord is near. I am with you. And will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So here we see um, as we're moving through from Adam and the different ones up to Jacob here. God who is the God who is there who will not leave us. Uh, Then we can go to number three. Let's take a look at Jehovah Shema in Israel's travels to the promised land. And again, we know that as uh, Jacob's uh, kids uh, grew, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, by the way. That's why we, we, we have Israel as, as um, the name of the nation. And he had many children, and then they began to grow and, and multiply and be fruitful, and they wound up enslaved in Egypt. And I'm sure a lot of us, you know, if not everybody watching here today knows that story that, uh, you know, they were delivered out of Egypt through Moses uh, and, and then they were on their way to the promised land. We just got done looking at that verse, right, in Genesis where God is speaking to Jacob and, and is saying, I'll give you this land. Well, that's exactly what happens after the Israelites are released from Egypt. They begin this journey to take that promised land that God said was theirs. And notice in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 8, God is speaking to Moses and he says, Have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. If we go a little further down to verse 22, it says, There above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. So now this is a picture in this next season, um, this next season of time on God's calendar as he's revealing the plan of salvation. Now he's got a called out people, his children delivered from slavery on their way to the promised land. And it's amazing when, when they get to Mount Sinai where God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, God comes down uh, his manifest presence, right, that we spoke about on the mountain. And there's thunder and there's fire and it's, it's literally shaking the mountain to the point where, and, and God is saying, I want to meet with my people. I want to be present with my people and meet with them as I give them the law. And they were so rattled by God's almightiness on the mountain that they said, Moses, you go up and talk to God. You go hang out with his presence. Come back and tell us what he said and we'll do whatever he said. So God uh, initially didn't set it up. Moses come up on the mountain and get the commandments. God wanted all of them to experience, you know, this awesome God uh, in, in a greater way, to know him and his power in a greater way. 
But then uh, as they're traveling, uh, first there is a tent that's built where uh, Moses could go and interact with the Israelites. We read about a, a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day of God's manifest presence. So they knew the Lord was with them as they went. That tent got turned into a mobile tabernacle. Uh, a, a, a mobile temple that could be, you know, basically a mobile tent temple uh, where, where the uh, Israelites could worship and where Moses could go in, where, where the, the priests could go and minister and where there could be uh, relation and interaction with the Lord. Uh, so, so the Lord's pledge and promise to his people through all this period of time is, hey, be of good courage. I'm with you and I will go with you. All right, and then we see after the Israelites get into the promised land, now we can look at number four, uh, Jehovah Shammah in the temple. And so now King David has plans where he wants to build a temple. Uh, God actually says to David, you're not going to be the one who's going to build it. Your son Solomon is going to be the one who's going to build my temple. And now that you've moved into the land, you're no longer traveling in tents. You don't need this traveling tabernacle. You're going to build a temple and it will be a place where my glory dwells. And that's what I was sharing about earlier when I talked about after the priests left the holy place, the, the glory cloud came in. Well, let's look at the following verse. I, I before gave you 1 Kings 8.10. Let's look at 1 Kings 8.11. It says, And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. There was such a, uh, an intense manifest presence of the glory of God, the majesty of God, that they couldn't even minister anymore. God's not far away somewhere. God is near. And as they were worshiping and as they were praising, it does tell us in the Bible, God inhabits the praises of his people. And so uh, just like Eden uh, and the tabernacle, Solomon's temple is kind of the, the pinnacle of all of this, of, of God uh, showing himself among his people. Uh, but, but all of these really are pictures leaning towards something much more beautiful in the future. But before we get to that ultimate picture of God dwelling among his people, uh, we had some not so good things happen. And this takes us up to uh, point number five as we are walking through the Bible. The Israelites have the temple built, but they start to move into idolatry. Just like Adam in the beginning, we said Adam left God. God didn't leave Adam. The Israelites start to leave God by uh, forsaking God, by worshiping idols and so forth. And so uh, point number five uh, speaks of the, the people get exiled out of, uh, out of the promised land and they're taken into Babylon. So point number five in your notes, in the promise to the exiles. So God's judgment winds up coming upon Israel and they are sent away to Babylon. But there's a promise given to the exiles through Ezekiel. Now, if you remember at the beginning of the message, I, I said that the first time we see Jehovah Shema uh, is here in Ezekiel chapter 48. Ezekiel is getting a picture. First, his vision shows God's glory departing the temple and then moving away from God's people because of the rebellion and their sin. But there's a promise. As a matter of fact, God had said about them, they'll be exiled, but in 70 years, God is going to bring them back home. 
He's not forsaken his people permanently. He is with them. He is the God who is present and he's going to be bringing them back home. And, and so not only is he going to bring them back home, but he talks about another temple that's going to be built. So in Ezekiel 48, 35, uh, it's giving some dimensions of the temple. It says the distance all around will be 18,000 cubits. And it says, and the name of the city, so this was Jerusalem, right? And the name of the city from that time on will be Jehovah Shema. The Lord is there. So after 70 years of captivity, Israel did return to the land of promise and a new temple was built. Um, and uh, then that moves us on. Uh, the new temple was built. Then um, I, we'll, we'll keep fast forwarding, like I said, a brief tour through the Bible. Then we get to the New Testament. And now we have Herod's temple is in Jerusalem. And in the New Testament, we have Jesus Christ on the scene. So you're filling number six, Jehovah Shema. We'll, we'll experience and, and know Jehovah Shema through Jesus Christ. And so we have God being among his people, God being among his people, God being among his people, you know, walking with Adam, walking with Enoch, uh, relating with uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, being with the Israelites, going through the wilderness, taking the promised land with the temple, calling them back out of exile. And now here we are in the New Testament, John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, man, now we have the ultimate picture of, of literally, um, when, when they talk about tabernacle, uh, I'm sorry, when they talk about dwelling in John 1, 14, he made his dwelling among us. Uh, some translations uh, in English will say he tabernacled among us. Again, here it is, God's presence, God's nearness. But in Jesus' coming, Jesus was what everything up to that point was, was leaning toward. The answer to man's problem of sin, the answer to humanity's separation from God would be the perfect, sinless, spotless lamb who came uh, to be with us. One of his names, one of the names of Jesus, he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And here it is. As a matter of fact, Jesus continues to show them that he's the fulfillment of these things. We see in John chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, he's speaking of his body, and I will raise it up again in three days. And so he's standing outside of Herod's temple, and, and they just said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. They didn't realize he wasn't talking about Herod's temple. He was talking about him uh, as the eternally existing word of God that came to dwell, to tabernacle with people, to die on the cross and rise from the dead so that we could live in a place of God with us through Emmanuel, God with us. Colossians 1 verse 19 says, God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus. So we're tracing this all through the Bible, God's presence, God's nearness. So Jesus uh, bears our sins. He dies on the cross for us. And then he rises from the dead. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And with Jesus rising from the dead, now we can look at uh, point number seven that we want to grasp today as we talk about Jehovah Shema. We see that within 
all believers. Now it's not God dwelling among us, but now it's God dwelling inside us. What a beautiful thing. You know, throughout the Old Testament, whenever the Holy Spirit um, interacted with a person, it said that the Spirit would come on somebody, like kind of come on and come off. But in the New Testament, because of what Jesus has done for us, when we make Christ Lord and Savior of our lives, the Lord comes to dwell, to tabernacle inside of us. How incredible that picture is. So we see the Lord is there. The Lord is near. The Lord is among his people. We see that now as this great precious benefit, a covenant blessing that we have as believers, as, as children of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? Wow, we have become the temple. And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. Wow. 2 Corinthians 6 and 16. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Such a blessing that we have. You know, Jim Cimbala writes, Even though individual lives are being changed by the power of the gospel, God's special concern is always focused on local churches that spread his gospel and disciple new converts. Jesus himself wrote seven letters to different local congregations. That's in the book of Revelation. And was seen walking among them. He has chosen to work here on earth through his church. And so it's so exciting to realize individually, just as we read in Corinthians, by ourselves alone, stand alone, we are each the temple of God. And then we as the body of Christ corporately together, we are the church, the temple of God. And, and the Lord walks among his churches. The Lord walks among his people and dwells in the hearts of his people. What an incredible picture we have in Hebrews 13. Tells us, the Lord says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. So, hey, as we close, we've taken a look at the presence of God. We've taken a look at the Lord being near from Genesis uh, all the way through into our New Testament. Now let's look at three truths as we get ready to close this message that can deeply encourage us about knowing the Lord is near. And again, these are fill-ins in your notes. Number one, God is always present. <laughs> I think we, we, we nailed that down pretty good here, didn't we? God is always present regardless of where you're at. Isn't it interesting that, you know, when they were in the desert, when they were in the garden, when they were in uh, the, the difficult place and in the place of rest, God was always with them. Uh, you, you know, when we don't know what's happening, when times are tough, God is there. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. Second important truth, God is watching over us. Praise God. He's watching over us. Notice uh, that was his promise to uh, Jacob and that is, that is his promise to all of us that not only is he not going to leave us or forsake us, but that he's going to watch over us, that he's going to be near to us. So he's paying attention to what's going on in our lives. Uh, so uh, we can rest in knowing that. And then uh, great truth number three, God will bring his children back home. Isn't it beautiful that as God spoke to Isaac and he said, this land will be yours. The Israelites that were in slavery, they got brought back home. Then when Israel uh, was judged and was brought into Babylon, they were brought back home. 
And you want to know what? When we, we make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of our lives, we're reconciled to God and we're going to stand with him someday. We'll be with him in heaven someday. He's going to call us home. Isn't it beautiful to know these great truths? God's always present. He's watching us and he's always going to bring his children back home. Amen. So as we conclude this message today, I'd like to just look at a couple of action steps, things that we can think about to take away from this message. The first one is to choose to trust him and to yield to him. He is the God who is near. You know, I I was thinking about this, you know, uh, back around the time when our nation was started uh, in, in the world at large, in Western culture, there was the Enlightenment. And that's basically a a period of time where intellectualism, you know, really started to take a whole new route in culture. And there was a a group of folks who rose up called the deists. As a matter of fact, many of our founding fathers were deists. They they, uh, acknowledged that Jesus is who he said he is, you know, that the Bible is true and all this stuff. But but their their picture of God, they would look at it this way, that God is the clockmaker, you know, that set things in motion and then he stepped back out of the picture and we just have to figure it out by ourselves. That mindset has worked its way through, uh, certainly from that time forward and I think uh, is, is probably as popular as ever today where people have this picture of God is off somewhere in a distance and we just fend for ourselves. God tells us in his word, he is the God that is near, the God that is there that wants to be near to us. So have you chosen to trust him and have you chosen to yield your life to him? If you've never made Christ Lord and Savior of your life, then today is the day to do it. It, it, It's a, a time to just simply acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for you and he rose from the dead. It's a time uh, to uh, acknowledge that you believe that uh, and that you receive him as your Lord and Savior and a time to confess that out loud, to say, Jesus, I am yours. I belong to you. I give you my life. I turn from my sin. I believe you are God and the Son of God. Be my Lord and Savior forever. And the Bible tells us that God will, like we talked about earlier, will come to move into our heart, wipe away our sin, literally make us brand new from the inside out. And then from there, we want to continue to trust him, continue to yield our lives to him. So if you haven't done that in our next steps section, there's a spot where you can pray a prayer of invitation similar to what I just described. And there's an opportunity to follow up where we can help you walk that out. A second action step is to make the decision to live in light of this truth, you know, to evaluate and, and to, to ask yourself, am I living in my day-to-day life? that the Lord is near, that I am the temple of God, that his Holy Spirit lives inside me. There there was a a saint from history, Brother Lawrence, who talked about practicing the presence of God. So how are we doing with practicing God's presence? As we are aware that he is there, that he is the God who is near, dwelling inside us, it will really, really, in all the right ways, in great, healthy growth Uh, oriented ways, it'll help us to live our best life in him when we remember that he is here now. We practice his presence. And then number three, um, action step is to make the decision that God, because God is near and God is going to bring his kids back home, we don't have to fear the future. 
there is so much that is uncertain, probably more than ever before in our modern era. There's so much that just appears uncertain, and it could be daunting, it could be intimidating, uh, all of the unknown that kind of lurks out there on the horizon, but we know that God has told us in His Word, and He doesn't change. We don't need to fear the future because He's here, and because, yes, ultimately, He's going to bring us back home to Him. Let's pray. Father, as we close our service time today, we thank you so much for this great truth that you have given us in telling us that you are Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. And, and I pray that as we would uh, go away from this time today, that we would carry a greater revelation, that we would carry a greater awareness that you are there, a greater awareness of your faithfulness and your nearness and your desire to walk with us in our lifestyle. So Lord, work in our lives. Lord, grow us out of what we've heard today. And we give you praise. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks for watching. God bless you. We'll see you soon.